Happy second anniversary! Behavioral Health Today dropped its first episodes on April 20th, 2020. To celebrate our second year mark, we're releasing five shows this week, one episode each day. Two will be brand new shows and three will be some of our favorites from the past year. We hope you enjoy them all, both new and old, and we're looking forward to another year of bringing you trending and relevant content in behavioral and mental health. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor, and today with me is Dr. Deb Horden. Deb has a PhD in sociology from Columbia University and has over 23 years of experience that includes consulting, global exposure, and certification through the International Coach Federation and Emotional Freedom Techniques International. In her work, Deb is the founder of Cultivating Greatness, a private practice that provides services in leadership coaching, team effectiveness, career change, and organizational culture. Today, we're talking with Deb about emotional freedom techniques. Deb, welcome to our show. So nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's great. You know, I want to get our, our listeners kind of interested in two things. One, begin to set a framework for us around emotional freedom techniques, EFT, and how you found yourself coming into this field, particularly with this technique in therapy. Sure. So emotional freedom techniques are a mind-body practice for releasing painful, uncomfortable emotions, negative thought patterns, and undesired behaviors. Things like acute stress reactions, emotional triggers, and the behaviors that come out when we're triggered, upset feelings, anxiety, anger, frustration, even trauma. It is a practice that soothes the central nervous system and creates, restores a feeling of calm and and sort of a grounded emotional state. Really good. Now you've been in this field for how long now with the EFT? I have been using EFT for my own personal growth for over 10 years and been using it in my practice for about eight. For a while there, it has been sort of in the alternative space for a long time, but recently it has become much more widely understood and accepted and used. Really good. So you're talking about uh, being able to use it as a clinician. How did you first come into it? You sound like you said you're, you're using it personally and then became part of your professional work. Yes. Yeah, so about 10 years ago, I was going through a painful breakup in my personal mm-hmm. life and yeah. I had some sadness and grief that I was struggling with. And my executive coaching mentor, Deborah Taylor, introduced me to EFT. She introduced me to the concept of it. She wasn't a practitioner, but she pointed me in the direction of somebody working out of Western Massachusetts. I live Uh and work in Massachusetts. And so I started working with him and he really helped me through emotional freedom techniques, process and release the sadness and the grief Mm -hmm. that I was experiencing. And I was able to really move through that breakup and move on in my life. And then we also got to work using EFT to, to address some of the issues and thought patterns or beliefs inside myself that led me to, into a relationship with sort of an ill-fitting matching person for me. Great man, but yeah, um, not, not the right, the right one. Yeah, there not the right fit. And so it really helped me sort of 
unhook from it and, and not have to go back and keep recycling and try again and again and again. It, and it was such a powerful experience for me that after I was using this for a while, I actually became trained in it. I find that a lot of times it's through our own work that we find ourselves in a position to be able to help people in the same way that we were helped. And it sounds like part of your story. I know that this uh, EFT technique, this was founded in the 1970s by two practitioners, Diamond and Callahan. And like you're saying, they were discovering that verbally focusing on a problem or an issue, whether it's emotional or physical, while like you're saying, manually stimulating acupuncture points could bring this significant relief to their patients, particularly with regards, like you said, to fears and phobias and even some physical responses to stress. So when your clients are coming in for EFT, I looked on some of the sites that you provided us with, and it looks like this takes place individually, sometimes maybe even collectively, like in a group. But what are some of the people coming in with it are common issues or presenting problems that you would use the EFT with? Yeah. So the population I work with is leaders of organizations in different sectors of the economy, different industries, but, you know, CEOs, sort of other senior leaders and organizations. And these are human beings who are in super high pressure, high stakes. They're highly accountable to what happens. And so they come to me with experiences of stress and worry and overwhelm caused by their work. And so part of our work together is stress management. They're also exposed to so many people, right? They've got the teams, all the people who are working with and for them, they might have people outside the organization that they're working with. And when you have that kind of high touch with other human beings, you invariably, you get triggered (laughs) by something someone says or does. And when we're triggered, these are sort of emotional and intense emotional responses and that put us kind of in our amygdala or our reptilian brain. And let's face it, we're not super sophisticated when we're operating from our reptilian brain. No. (laughs) And happens to me, it's not only my clients, I'm I'm no different. You know, I'm not sitting on some pedestal. So in my whole practice, the concept of cultivating greatness is, you know, how do I help leaders operate from their highest and best self? And so what parts of us are our highest and best self? Because particularly people in positions of power have a huge impact. They have a huge impact on people they work with. They have a huge impact on the whole organization, their community, the world. And if they're operating from the reptilian brain, (laughs) you know, the best things don't happen. So I help them transition out of their sort of triggered state where they're having undesired behavioral patterns, anger management, you know, stuff like that so that they can restore their sense of well-being and calm. I really like that. You know, we have MRIs, you know, that show that when, when that, when that fight or flight goes off, our brain lights up and it is stimulated in kind of that fight or flight type way. And you're saying, and I agree with you, we don't make our best decisions in those moments because all, all the higher order functions, self-management, you know, thought processes, all those things, they go offline when we're in that fight or flight mode. And all we're looking at life through is this kind of myopic, small vision of how do I manage this moment? And, and yet at the same time, these are people, particularly the leaders you're working with, that it sounds like really need to be functioning with all parts of their brain in some very stressful moments. And what I like about this technique too, and I'd like to hear a little bit more about this. I, I remember running a group when I was uh, doing a cardiac treatment program for a hospital, and we had a lot of type A people, you know, very high functioning, very successful, but obviously had some cardiac related issues. And we started to put them through these, you know, relaxation techniques, you know, visualization and kind of breathing, and it drove them nuts. 
because they were they they had to be doing something. And what you're talking about here, funny enough, sometimes people relax when they're doing versus we think, well, you're only going to relax if you stop and you just be. No, we can relax when we're actually doing something. And it sounds like the EFT allows these high functioning, you know, task oriented folks to be able to have something to do that's physical rather than just kind of be where they get anxious. So this is a cool technique that they can actually be active in their relaxation process, aren't they? That's a really interesting way to put it. I think what you're saying is really true. And, you know, leaders are increasingly highly self-aware, highly conscious of themselves, deliberate yes. in their leadership and they're owning the impact they have. I, you know, work with people who are direct reports of other leaders and everyone knows who's had a boss, if their boss is angry and stressed out, that that behavior, if it comes out in them, it's a painful experience for Absolutely. them, it's demotivating. So these are very active, powerful people. And absolutely, they take responsibility for their impact through yeah. these. And you're right, it's a, physically, it's a physically engaged process. Yeah, let's talk about that. So basically, this is one of those active relaxation, because we think, again, relaxation has to be passive. But this is an active where they're actually doing something. So let's get specific in terms of the techniques. You're combining acupressure and cognitive techniques together in this self-help method. Walk us through what it looks like. So the client puts pressure on certain points on his own body or her own body. They, I can either, they can tap it or they can okay. press it and hold it and breathe while they're, they're pressing and holding it. There are about 21 points that EFT practitioners use, 14 on the sort of upper body, the torso from like the rib cage up to the top of the head. And there are five or six on the hand and the wrist. And so they press or hold these points while the EFT practitioner makes a statement and then they repeat the statements. And these statements are designed to put the person into the emotional state or connect to the emotional state or issue that they're trying to resolve. And so they move from point to point, press and hold, breathe maybe, or just tap and move to the next one while they're making the statements. So what you're doing right now, maybe our listeners obviously can't see, but you're actually showing me some of the tapping points in, in yeah. between kind of the forehead, right by the cheek, the upper lip, the top of the head. I know kind of just by the collarbone area is also another one, the chin area. So these are tapping points that kind of follow the meridian lines of Chinese medicine, really. And exactly. being able to tap or hold these while there's a pairing of the cognitive thoughts. So let's say someone's coming in and saying, um, man, I am really stressed at work and I feel out of control. Mm. So out of control might be the theme and I'm afraid of failing. Give me a sense of what that session might look like with you, the therapist, and they being the patient and this cognitive kind of narrative that they've got. Walk yeah. us through what that treatment would look like. So the first part would be, so I would write down, I take copious notes. So stressed, the other thing you were saying was afraid of failure. failing. And so I might ask, you know, how does that feel? And they might talk about, say a few other words. And so it yeah, could I'm be scared, scared. It could be anxious. Yeah. So I, then I have like a list of three to seven words or whatever. And then I yeah. ask them to rate the intensity of that, the charge around that feeling. And so okay. on a scale of zero to 10, you know, how stressed are you feeling? How, how afraid are you feeling? How scared, you know, how intense is the fear of feeling? There might be, okay, I'm a six on stressed, I'm a seven on fear of failure, whatever. And we get it, we get a set of numbers. Good. I normally start on this part on the side of the hand between the pinky and the wrist There's sort of a soft fleshy part. And we would yes. start there and say, I would, the, I would do a setup statement, even though I'm feeling really stressed and afraid right now, 
and they would repeat that. I would say, okay. that's just where things are at right now. That's how I'm feeling. Even though I'm feeling really stressed right now, and they would repeat that. That's that's where things are at right now. And there are some practitioners who would say, I would also like to totally accept myself and love myself. That's sort of an older version of it. But I use that with some patients, or clients rather, because it allows you to embrace the state you're in without judgment and rejection, self-rejection. It sort of, it allows you to include all of yourself. The, the client doesn't position one part of himself against the other. I and like then we that. move through different points and then we move to the top of the head. And then we just repeat, I'm feeling incredibly stressed. I am so stressed. And through the story, they might have given me other words, other descriptions of why. And I basically use the language they use Got it. and just bring them through the points. And we might do two or three rounds from top of the head all the way down to the rib cage. And we might use other points like the wrist and the side of the hands, a few of those. And then we pause and sort of take a cleansing breath and and then we check in with the, the intensity level of the charge around feeling stressed, feeling afraid of failure, feeling scared. And we see if it's moved up or down or stayed the same. Really good. So you're helping them kind of, you're asking them to kind of lean into the very things that are stressing them out, have them afraid and have them kind of emotionally dysregulated in a way. And, and when you're when you're walking them through this, you're actually kind of helping them hold the stress and all the things that you had, you know, heard them say, I'm out of control. I'm afraid. I I'm really stressed about that. But as you do that, it sounds like you're helping them kind of develop some emotional muscle really that allows them to deal with the situations that they're in without being so emotionally dysregulated and being able to kind of sit in those times without being so upset. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. They're able to sort of establish a relationship with their emotional state that is not subsumed by the emotional state itself and then see it and and also having them hear it and having someone else speak it for them and having them hearing themselves speak it themselves it's sort of it transforms it and sometimes the um the intensity of the charge can go up which is actually not a bad thing because that means you've moved them into the feeling state and they're actually ripe for releasing and sometimes it goes down right away and then what you want to do is get it down to like a two or a or three or something or zero one you know ideally and sometimes they let you know right away because let's just say they move through i'm out of control and afraid of failing and you sort of focus on we might do the next round on one that's still quite intense and they and then they can pop out of it they can be like oh those words sound really silly to me now they don't really apply anymore Um, and then you're like oh fantastic and then you're able to move on to the next thing it's really good i you know you're talking about in that strengthening kind of a way sometimes and this is important, I think, for people to understand too. Sometimes in therapy, as good as, as it is, sometimes for a period of time, things get worse before they get better, but they will get better. We just have to go through the hard times first. And then what you're talking about here is that through their own self-tapping and you being guided, guiding as a therapist, they begin to shift and it begins to go down. It just does. And they begin to experience that firsthand. I remember there's this saying that goes, you know, when one door closes, we're kind of going from what was stressful, another door opens, but there's hell in the hallway. And <laughs> sometimes when things get worse, that, that, that hellish place, we get to sit with it. What I love about this too, is that they get to see that they're not vulnerable to, or at risk for being only as good as their circumstances allow them to be. What you're saying is you can be in any circumstance and you can bring this control to it anytime you want. So you have more control and power than you really have. And you're letting them see this, aren't you? 
That is such an excellent point. They make a commitment to a, a feeling state or an emotional yes. state, an operating system, you know, where they want to be, regardless of what's happening outside of yeah. them. And they develop an attitude of compassion towards their own emotional state. And yeah. it really gives them a lot of power over, you know, as their coach, where they want to lead from. What platform do you want? Emotional yeah. platform. Do you want to be leading from? Are you in that platform right now? Yes or no? No. Okay. Right. Let's put you, let's here's a technique. Right. Let's put you into the platform from which you want to be leading other people. Really and good. Impacting and the world. Yeah. I, and yeah, I, I love that. When, you know, when we're talking about this process too, I understand that it can be a process where someone does their own tapping outside of a therapy session, kind of for their own self-care. And I want to name at the very end, you guys provide a really nice free introductory tapping manual. So for those that might be doing some of their own self-tapping, but it can take place in their own self-care and it's practitioner assisted EFT too. It's both, correct? Absolutely. In fact, I was using some a little bit before we started talking because I was feeling a little nervous. <laughs> so I, I <laughs> use you. it regularly, you know, sort of throughout my own day with self-management. But I also, I work with my own practitioner around my, you know, issues in my own personal growth. Sure. And I use it to put myself in my own highest and best state when I'm working with clients so that I'm not projecting stuff and bringing my own problems into my coaching work. And I also, I have a recording from my own practitioner, I provide recordings to my clients okay. and they can do it on their own. And even if they're not listening to the recording, they can just yes. hold a point. Like if they're, let's just say they're at a meeting and they're really irritated by something someone says, or they're upset the way things are going, they can put their hands below the table and just hold this, this, the side yes. of their hand. And it really offers relief to whatever intense feeling they have. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Nearly 9 in 10 registered voters believe the nation faces a mental health crisis, according to a new USA Today Suffolk University poll. Americans are more concerned than ever about their mental health. Mental health first aid provides the resources and training to identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental health and substance use challenges. It provides the confidence and skills needed to offer life-saving assistance, and it provides peace of mind. Our experts provide mental health first aid training for adults, teens, caregivers, veterans, law enforcement, EMS, and school faculty. Mental health concerns are on the rise, but evidence-based training through mental health first aid can make a difference. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org to find a course near you or email hello at mentalhealthfirstaid.org to schedule a training. Courses are available for individuals, groups, organizations, and companies of all sizes. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org and make a difference in your community. I really like that phrase, you know, functioning and relating to life and others from one's highest and best self. Basically, all pistons are firing and the way they, they, they get to be. And I get to bring my best self into whatever situation or moment that I'm in. When you're seeing successful clients benefiting from EFT, what are they walking away from in, you know, in their therapy with you? What are you seeing? Yeah. So they have radically reduced stress levels huh. and an ongoing process for, for stress management which also prevents burnout and improves their behavioral patterns. They have reduced levels of anger, reduced levels of frustration. They feel more mm. relaxed and calm and centered. They feel more themselves. And we're always in a state of flux, right? We're going, 
we're going into our triggered state and out and, you know, maybe not in the same hour one day, but through time, you know, we're moving yeah. in and out. It gives them a way to return to their, their centered selves. There's also a way in which I can work not only with feelings in the moment, but also the sort of original source of the triggers that might be within a person so that I can reduce their trigger sensitivity around the issues that are specific to them. So that even let's just say, you know, somebody says ABCD in a meeting, and that happens to be a trigger for me, find the root of that and work with EFT around that. And then from then on, when someone says ABCD in a meeting, I'm not going to have the same right. intense emotional reaction. So my behavior becomes uplifted all around. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's good. You know, Deb, I would imagine too, that the patient brings these thoughts and these feelings to a, a more conscious level and they develop the ability to effectively tolerate the emotional muscle around being able to, to tolerate these feelings. I would imagine then that that might open up an opportunity for other therapeutic topics to now be addressed that might've been difficult before because of the emotional stimulation and sensitivity that was being triggered around, let's say trauma. If, you know, and what we're asking patients to do sometimes is to lean into and talk about their traumas, but they're so dysregulated in that process. Yeah. And if we can allow them to de-stress and desensitize around the intensity of those emotions, become aware of them, begin to have a calmer sense when they're talking about them, I would imagine then that it opens up doors for some of the therapeutic work now to be able to be done, whereas before it was too stimulated to actually start to be done. It's such a beautiful point. It's so true. There are even, as I was mentioning before, there are 12 or 13 different techniques within yeah. the, the framework. Specifically to your point, there are several that allow us to tap on the issue without even naming it or rem yeah. remembering it, or it's like you put it in a container or you give it a, the title of a movie, or you just call it that thing. So the person doesn't have to re-traumatize themselves by, by saying it and repeating it and remembering it. We can just sort of make it a thing over there. We can put it over there and we tap on that thing. Like some people like the container technique. If you have a really terrible trauma, you don't want to say it. You don't want to talk about it. We're going to put it in a box or that coffee cup. And then we just tap on that coffee cup or that box. And believe it or not, amazingly, the, the intensity of that trauma goes down without even having to go into it. So we have techniques that allow us to heal even without having to be that close to it and re-experience it. And it does loosen it up. So eventually over time, if they want to go, and I'm, I'm not a clinician and I'm not a trauma expert, but this is a way to work with this material so that, you know, if they do want to go and, and work with someone else in that expertise area, they can, but I, really I also do work with, I have worked with CEOs and, um, founders and other people who have trauma, right? I mean, we're yeah. all human beings. We all have trauma. So yeah. Well, when you're talking about the trauma piece of it, or you're talking about these negative patterns that we form, whether they're in our behaviors or our thoughts, they're usually around, you know, the uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, and they're usually around events in our lives and they are, are our best attempt to try and manage and cope. But if we can begin to kind of help someone get, get some self-control and begin to desensitize some of these feelings, be able to sit with them in a very different way, have a more optimistic and emboldened sense of their own power and abilities to manage these times, I, I, I can see them being able to do some really great work. 
So we're talking about being able to help patients through some very difficult times, but you also talked about too, Deb, being able to use it for yourself, uh, very vulnerably disclosing to us some things that you've done and some work you've done around that. As clinicians, practitioners, how is this beneficial to our self-care in the work that we do with the patients that come to see us? Yeah. So behavioral health practitioners have high stress, high stakes jobs, right? What they do has real world impact and implications. They're on the front line of healing our nation's, you know, mm-hmm. people in our country's emotional and psychological challenges. And there's been an increased demand for their services for sure in the last couple of years and also decreasing number of providers. So I'm sure their caseloads have increased and the intensity of their, of their work has That's probably right. increased. And behavioral mental health practitioners are highly empathic people. And so by nature, they feel other people's feelings and they're hearing about and witnessing human suffering and terrible stories of abuse or tragedy, loss, personal injustice, day in and day out, regardless of the population they might be working with. Probably some populations are more tragic than others. And they're definitely trained to manage that but over time, it can be weighty and they can suffer themselves, you know, mm-hmm. empathically with the, the patients that they're working with. EFT can help them process and release the emotions they may feel by proxy in response to what they're witnessing with their clients and patients so that they don't have to carry that with them so much, you know, either between sessions or at the end yeah. of the day, it can absolutely help them prevent burnout. I mean, burnout is such a huge issue in these fields, totally understandable. So this is a way to to mitigate burnout and increase self-care so they can go home, enjoy their families, their personal lives, even to a higher degree and and come back with, you know, higher levels of receptivity or self-care. For me, EFT is is almost a business expense because it helps Mm -hmm. me release whatever stress that I may, I may pick up and experience throughout the day. So for mental health practitioners, I think it can only be supportive and add to their self-care arsenal. Really good. Really good. I know we're kind of coming into the home stretch here, but give us kind of a hallmark story that stands out for you. If someone you worked with that you just, you were just so excited to watch their growth and the things they did, give us a story. I do have a a wonderful example from my practice, and I've been given explicit permission to share his story anonymously. So I've been working with a founder, CEO of a technology company, and he built a company, started a company and spent 10 years building it up to something really wonderful and was about to embark on the next growth phase of this company to expand service offerings and making them more available to more people. And was considering, uh, was talking to some investors at private equity firms. And so when a private equity firm is looking into acquiring a technology company or any kind of company, they go through a process called due diligence. And this is a phase during which they learn as much as they possibly can about the company, all, you know, on all topics, anywhere from finances to organizational structure, culture, the leadership team, the members of the or of the organization, clients, sales process, everything. And it's sort of like a deep questioning, <laughs> kind of an intense yeah. investigation into the company. And this uh, client came to me, this founder came to me wanting to work on his response to the situation. He was feeling agitated when the private equity guys were questioning him about, you know, so what, what did you make this decision? Help me understand why you did this and why you did that. And, 
you know, they, they, they're very probing and it's, it's a normal process, but it's got to be stressful. Well, it's stressful for everyone, for sure. He was having a disproportionate reaction with defensive feelings, angry feelings, feeling indignant, (laughs) and at times aggressive, right? And so was behaving in ways that were not productive for the process. It's the kind of behaviors that could kill, kill the whole relationship. So I worked with him in two ways. At first, I worked with him to sort of just reduce the the charge of the intensity around his feelings of defensiveness, anger, indignation. And we got those down. We sort of managing those. And that allowed him day to day to sort of operate from a better platform. And I asked, so, you know, the sort of deep questioning, you know, was there a time in your life before now when this was, there was a painful experience around being questioned, interrogated, whatever. And he told me a really deeply moving story about when he was an 11 year old, he began, unfortunately, being abused by clergymen in his community, and spent many years sort of not able to to speak it or explain it and eventually came out as a teenager, shared it with his parents, and they pursued holding this clergyman accountable. And through that process for him, he had to sit through lots of questioning from psychologists, from lawyers, from the sheriff from the police officers. And as a teenage boy being questioned and interrogated about a sensitive topic by men in positions of power, it was very painful, very challenging. And so, yeah, I mean, and then of course, in the situation when in in a benign setting where he was being interrogated and questioned, you know, in a polite manner, but it, it just, it triggered him. And so we were able to make some progress. And he'd worked with a a therapist for a couple of years on the original, you know, an abuse therapist specifically around that. But in this setting, for this context, we were able to release some of, you know, yeah, release some of that charge. And it turned out really well. He was able to have highly positive responses and, you know, sell his company and engage very productively with the private equity process. So it, it was so a great, good. it was very moving, of course, you know, to see somebody in this situation. I, I love that. I love stories like that because you're talking about someone with all this potential and all this ability, but when these things get triggered or past traumas, you know, kind of come up, it's through those lenses that we find ourselves seeing those moments that we're in and a stressed and anxiety producing way and our highest and best self can't come out in those moments. But as you help him get some control there, then he gets to bring his best self in and all the potential gets to be seen. And I would imagine a business transaction gets to be completed. So that's a great, it's a great story. Good for you guys. That's some yeah, good work. It's a beautiful story. And not all clients have that level of intensity. You know, all their yeah. other clients I work with, you know, they're just dealing with overwhelm, but you know, people offend each other in business a lot. So it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's an aggressive world in some ways. Um, it's a, it's a wonderful world to work into, but it's, Pretty you know, not everyone has that level of, of intensity, but that's it's right. a great story. You know, it's a great example. Yeah, it is. Hey, Deb, as we begin to wind down for today in terms of resources, give our listeners some ways to find out more about you, EFT, share with us some of the things they can do to click on and find some links. Sure. So my website is debhordenleadership.com. And I have a page on that website that lists articles that I've written. And there's one article that provides an interesting use case of EFT for people and organizations. And it's called Don't Let Your Triggers Sabotage Your Leadership. It was published in 
training journal in, in uh, 2020. But there's also the eftinternational.org website, which provides lots of information about the technique and other providers, other certified providers. There are a lot of practitioners all over the world who, and we all work virtually. So then I would also share this great article that, that explains some of the scientific research on EFT. Nice. It's posted on a website hosted by NCBI and the National Institute for Health, written or published by the Journal of Evidence-Based Integrative Medicine. And it's called Clinical EFT Improves Multiple Physiological Markers of Health. And it outlines how measured improvements in anxiety, depression, PTSD, pain, cravings were noted before and after EFT was practiced. There was also an increase in happiness. And in terms of physiological changes, resting heart rate, cortisol level, systolic and diastolic blood pressure, and heart coherence, there were statistically significant improvements in those. So I think that, you know, provides a good explanation of the impact. Really good. I appreciate those. And we're going to have those on our website for our listeners. Hey, Deb, I want to thank you for being with us today. This is such a great technique that you're helping people learn about and utilize and implement in their lives to help them bring relief and relaxation to and promote healing around the emotions and physical issues that can hold us back from being, like you're saying, our highest and best self. So really nice job in your work. Congratulations on that. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking with you today. And great to be with you too. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Deb and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding the episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash bht. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show. And we will look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.